If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open up to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, like Paul's just read out, and it's, uh, it's good to be able to link Psalm 118 into Palm Sunday. You might have noticed there are palms uh, up along the cross, there's a palm down the front as well. And as, as we, uh, we read Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I can't imagine that there'd be many people that would do a greeting like that to someone coming into the, um, a, a place today. Can you, can you imagine someone saying that as they sort of walked into Croydon Main Street? <laughs> Blessed is he! He comes in the name of the Lord. I can't imagine it. I did talk with the idea of someone, um, as, as everyone drove in, I was going to get someone to, to, to stand out the front with their palm branch and just wave at people as they came in. I thought that'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Do you reckon, do you reckon people would like that? That would have been a bit weird. Um, might, have, might have worked, might have been handy, might have been something that people just drove straight past <laughs> as well. Um, if, uh, if you're interested in that sort of ministry, come and see me after the service. It happens once a year. <laughs> Can you imagine driving down the street and seeing that as you came to church? Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or some joyous sort of malady shouting out. It would make you feel a little bit strange maybe. But it would be definitely memorable. And that's what Palm Sunday was. It was a memorable day. So today we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, this triumphant entry. On a day where we remember Jesus, the humble king, riding in on a donkey. To the procession of palm branches, to the shouts of joy. It would be a totally different entrance to the king. The king, to Caesar, it would have been a totally different entrance. So I think of the pomp and the swagger that might have been the king's entrance. A little bit like Prince Ali being welcomed into the town um, by, by Will Smith, the, um, the Aladdin person. Have you, if you haven't seen the movie, it's worth a look, uh, where he rides into this town and he's got all the, the animals and the singing and the dancing and he's riding up on this huge elephant. And um, I was hoping to get married um, with an elephant, but we didn't quite make it. Solari's mum had said we were going to do it, and she didn't quite get there, an elephant for us. I don't know how it would have happened, but it would have been good because it's just grand, isn't it? And you can imagine the likelihood that Caesar would have entered into Jerusalem at a similar sort of time, but from the other side of town, not from the hills, not where it was hard to get to, but the other side of town. His entourage would have been huge. The trumpets would have sounded. There wouldn't have been a donkey. There are these horses he'd be riding on. The armor, the color. It would have been a vastly different scenario to what we see with Jesus coming in. Polar opposite. And their arrivals marked vastly different purposes as well. One came to rule through force. The other forced to rule through death. One, a visible reminder of the power that was controlled over people. One with a seeming lack of power, but it changed the whole world. But we don't just want Palm Sunday to remain for us this piece of history. A good story that starts Holy Week. But as we look at Palm Sunday through the lens of Psalm 118, we need to see it in the light of the passion that is to come. So I want to pray now, and as we enter the psalmist world, we're going to see how this triumphal king um, sort of comes through, and we're going to sing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God, help us to understand your word this morning. 
Help us to understand how we can live out your word and help us to leave this, this place singing Hosanna. Blessed be in the name of the Lord. Amen. Now, the first thing we, we note about Psalm 118 is its place within the Psalms. It's, it's part of the, playover, uh, the Passover playlist. If, uh, if the people were having a Passover meal, they would have had the five sort of, or six psalms from 113 to 118 on their, on their Spotify playlist. They would have had it going over and over. They would know these psalms really well and sung them through as they go through this, the Passover. They were known as psalms that had deep and heavy meaning for the people of God. They were waiting upon the Saviour. So of all the Psalms, this Psalm is actually the most quoted Psalm of the New Testament. I'm not convinced. If I was to ask you what your favourite Psalm was, who, who would put their hand up and say Psalm 118 was their favourite Psalm? Psalm 100, we're getting close, a couple. Yeah. But not, not many. I, I, go, I go to Psalm 139. It's a beautiful Psalm of God's creation and God's... How God, but you might have some other. Psalm 23, we did... Um, I think there was that last week, week before. We, we've done a couple of real sort of popular sort of ones. But Psalm 118 doesn't hit the popularity list. It probably isn't even sort of in our maybe top five even sometimes. But it's the most quoted Psalm of the New Testament. As you read it, you're reminded of temple imagery. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the head of the corner. We're, we're reminded of multiple New Testament passages that use that sort of imagery. And we're drawn to this crowd that they obviously knew the psalm a lot better than us, re reciting it as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, down the hill through the back streets of Jerusalem, in and through the city gates. They sing, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We hear in Matthew's gospel, the, the people shout, Hosanna, and it means save us. Save us, we pray. Their shouts were echoing the psalmist's cry for the Savior. Yet it's a psalm that the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible calls a song of victory, inviting Israel to join in and proclaim that the Lord's love endures forever. There's a lot in this psalm. And so we're going to be digging into the psalm both today, but also next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Not because um, it's just a good psalm, but because it reminds us of God's great promise that the Saviour that will be is here. It reminds us also, and this is what we'll focus on today, that God's steadfast love does endure forever. So I want to step through this morning, just some of this psalm, and focus on some of the dimensions of God's love that we can hear and see through it. And then we're going to try and relate it to how the people standing before Jesus on Palm Sunday may have seen him. So the first thing we can see about God's love in this space is his enduring love. And we can see it in verses 1 to 4. It doesn't take long for the psalmist to give us this indication of his praise for God. The psalm starts with, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. There's been lots of songs written with those lyrics, haven't there? Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. The word love here is translated uh, steadfast love in some other translations. You might have it in your translation. It probably captures a little bit more of the idea that, of the love that the psalmist is trying to explain to us, the reader. 
as they approach Passover, you can imagine them sort of reminiscing about the, the goodness of God in the midst of the slavery of Egypt in Egypt. The rescue from Pharaoh as the angel of God passes over their houses, sparing their firstborn sons. And then this miraculous exit from Egypt. He is worthy of being praised. That word for steadfast love uh, is in the Hebrew, chesed. And it's used 245 times in the Old Testament. It's a central term that can be translated as loving kindness or mercy, steadfast love, loyal love. It describes an active and intentional kindness that's deeply rooted in and, and abiding love. It's a deeply rooted love. It describes the love of God to his people. Even when the people were disobedient, even when the people were unfaithful. It's often associated with the uh, covenantal relationship between God and people of Israel. A faithfulness to that covenant that just cannot be broken. So right here, the psalmist repeats the line four times in four verses. He wants us to remember it, us to remember his steadfast love endures forever. Even when the people become wayward, his steadfast love endures forever. But it doesn't sound like just an Old Testament issue, does it? Uh, just for the people of Israel that were a bit wayward. I think sometimes I look at the people of the Old Testament and think, why did they do that? Why did they stray so much? Why couldn't they continue to remain faithful when there was such evidence of God's love and presence around them? Then I remember and see the faithfulness of, of God every day in and around us. I see the beauty of the hills around us. I see God in the answers to my prayers. I experience God as I listen to the word. I see God in others. Yet as much as I experience God in my every day, I still don't always honour him in the way that he deserves honour. In the way that I drive my car, in the way that I react when someone cuts me off. How I might talk out of turn when someone has upset me. How I might act when there's a lot of pressure on and I've got a deadline to meet and someone comes up and asks me questions. I wonder if you experience it in the same way. I wonder if you relate to that. Because the psalmist and the people of Israel would have had the same pressures, the stresses. They might have seen God in their space, yet still walked away. And I wonder if we do the same. But the psalmist reminds us, in the same way we can remember, that his love endures forever, even if we start walking off track. His love endures forever, even if we go another way. His love endures forever. And as the people prepare their Passover meals, they'd be singing this song. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. They're remembering the, the, the goodness of God through those years, saving and rescuing them. Knowing that the Messiah was the promised king, or the Messiah, the promised king, would be to come. And as they hear about Jesus, this potential saviour, standing on the side of the road, coming into Jerusalem, they come out and they see him. They see him riding down the hill on a donkey. The future, the future king on a donkey doesn't, wouldn't be what they expect. But it made a statement, didn't it? And they consider the covenantal promises that God and his chesed, the enduring love, 
this wonder. And they think, is this him? So they lay their palms down and they call out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's an enduring love. The second type of love is the love for the righteous. Verse 19 and 20. The psalmist continues to praise God as he longs to enter what he calls the gates of righteousness. Now, the psalmist may have been considering the the temple and the temple gates where only those who are deemed righteous could enter for the sake of bringing their offering and their praise to God. The temple gates were seen as the entrance to the presence of God. So the psalmist who was longing to be in the presence, in the, in, the, in the presence, the physical presence of God, to worship God. So there is an acknowledgement here that, that he can't be there on his own. He can't enter into that court by himself. So he asked God, God, open these gates of righteousness. There's a recognition that alone we are not righteous. We cannot be seen as righteous. It's only by God's grace that we can become righteous, that we can enter into the presence of God. Palm Sunday. Um, so going back from, from when the psalmist wrote to Palm Sunday, we see Jesus coming towards the gates of Jerusalem, the gates that hold the temple, the gates that welcome the long-awaited Messiah. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem as the triumphal king, Jesus was symbolically entering the gates of righteousness. Yet we know that Palm Sunday is only a precursor to the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus as king. Not in the way that people thought they would as they lay their palm branches on the ground, but in the way that he opened access to God, the gates of righteousness opened to us. His love that atoned for our sin opened the gates and allowed us to enter into the presence of God, who is righteous. So even me, even you, every day in some way, even if we turn our back on God, he allows me to be seen as righteous. That's a cause to say, seeing of his enduring love, isn't it? And the third sort of love is a love to be celebrated. A love to be celebrated. We skipped over the middle parts of the verses, um, verses 22 to 24. That's going to be what we focus on next week. But to finish this week's sort of focus on the psalm, um, we finished there because the praise continues all the way to the end. And it was here we start to hear the shouts of the people uh, on Palm Sunday as the, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. They may have sung this song of thankfulness to God for many years. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. I pondered this for a little bit through this week, and I've always looked at this uh, sort of expression, Hosanna, and equated it with an expression of praise. Save us! It's even got an exclamation mark behind it. And as it's sung with Jesus, the, the hope that it's this hoped Messiah making his way down to Jerusalem, we can hear these cheers of hope. Lord, save us! Hosanna! Save us, we pray. The New Testament's were originally written in, in the Greek, and they got the word from the, the Hosanna, this word from the Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana, which we translate, save us, we pray. But this Hebrew word, Hoshiana, or the term, the together, is only found once in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, and it's here in Psalm 118, verse 25. And in its context here in this psalm, we find it not so much a cheer of hope, but perhaps more a plea for help, 
a cry out for help. It's more, it's more like the time that I was at Phillip Island and I was at Willamai Beach. I might have told you this, this before, and I was surfing, and I got caught in a rip. Um, when I was there, everything in me just wanted to, to say, save me, <laughs> save me, I pray. It was a, 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 a fear that I won't be saved, so save me. Yet this didn't sound like how the crowd ushering Jesus into Jerusalem, um, Jerusalem were using the word. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The word sort of has somehow shifted from this cry of help to a, a, a yell of hope. It's a shift from, help me, I'm in the rip and I can't get out, to, I see the lifeguard coming, help me, I'm saved. I can see hope. Salvation is coming. So as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the hope of the nation was on him. The whispers were that he was the Messiah. He was the one from David's line, and he would save them. He was their true king. And the people lined the streets, and they held him as their king. It's why when we sing Hosanna, we sing with a sense of praise and confidence. It isn't, oh Lord, save us. It's not a desperate cry for salvation. Rather, it is an absolute action of praise. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is a celebration of our triumphal king and God's love for us. So how are we going to respond to that? How do we respond to that? Perhaps we read this account of Palm Sunday and we place ourselves in the crowd. Maybe we're there and we're holding the palm frond ourselves. We're waving it. We're placing it before Jesus. Maybe we're the ones shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we shout because we already know the end events of next week. We live in a new covenant made righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We can already know and experience what the psalmist has been asking and longing for to enter the gates of righteousness. We already have the gates open to us through salvation in Jesus Christ. So we can sing as if he has saved us because he has, rather than cry out, save us, Lord. But I wonder if we're able to say that. We're stirred in the presence of the king. That's what it says. We're stirred in the presence of the king. Have you ever been in the presence of someone Famous? Has anyone been in the presence of someone like really famous? Like not just, not just um, well, who's someone that's semi-famous? So not just a semi-famous person. Well, he's semi-famous. <laughs> Elaine, who have you been? The prime minister. Okay. Well, he's he's gone. He's just leveled out up to up to famous famous. The prime minister. I, I was thinking. Oh, well, the Obamas are in Australia at the moment. Did did you know that? Oh, the Obamas. Yeah. They. I think they're in Sydney. I think they're coming down to Melbourne. Um, you might. Whether you like them or not, they're probably up there on the on the pretty high up on the famous stakes within uh, within fame famosity. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, fame. They're, they're, yeah. Anyway, the Obamas are there. <laughs> Can you imagine? I could imagine going to meet the Obamas and standing in front of them, and and you've got that that. They've just got an awe about them, don't they? There's this famous people just have this awe about them. And you sort of meet them and you sort of start getting a little bit overwhelmed. Like when I met Chris Anstey. Chris Anstey was an Australian basketballer. He's way up here, so he's all big anyway. And you just look up at him and you're like, oh, 
And I was love basketball, so that was, yeah. And you just like, you start fumbling over your words. You start going, oh, I'm not sure what to say. Overwhelmed. You've got a question to ask and it doesn't come out right. So you start going all just introverted. And it's only because of their presence. In Matthew's account of Palm Sunday, chapter 21, verse 10, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. And they asked, who's this? This isn't the people that knew Jesus. These are the, the whole city was stirred because of the presence of Jesus. The term stirred, probably, it doesn't probably sort of capture the enormity of what was going on there. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was overwhelmed, was shaken, was not able to get the words out right, was standing in the presence of a really tall Chris Anstey and going, I'd love to ask you questions, but I don't think the words are going to come out right. It's a little bit bigger than just, oh, I'm stirred by it. We're not stirring a Milo here. We're, we're blending a thick shake. The word stirred is actually a, from the Greek word seo, but it means to, to cause to shake or to be shaken. And it's where we get our word seismic, which, of course, has to do, we, we measure earthquakes by its seismic, seismic sort of size, whatever. <laughs> and what's this, what's the, what's the, it's the shaking of the earth. The earthquake is the shaking of the earth. Another time this word is used in the Greek is in, uh, in Matthew. It's when the, the earth shook and the rocks split and the curtain of the temple was torn in two in Matthew 27, 51. Jesus entering into Jerusalem made a, a seismic impact. People were so impacted that even those who didn't know him wanted to know who he was. Those who knew him hailed him as the one that was there to save them. People were so impacted that they turned out to celebrate a king riding a donkey. Not the war horse, a donkey. A humble yet worthy king. I wonder if the loving presence of God has had a seismic impact on your life. I wonder if God's enduring love, a love that brings us right before him, a love that is to be celebrated, I wonder if it's made a seismic impact on you. I wonder if, if you or and I live in such a way that, that tomorrow is lived out in different ways to yesterday, a way that people see Jesus in you when you go to work. Or I wonder if the loving presence of God makes a mark on your life in such a way that the question comes to you. Who is it? Who is this that makes that difference? What's different about you? But also remember, many of the people waved branches, they sang Hosanna, but a week later they cleared out. When Jesus was no longer the celebrity or about to win the victory in their eyes, they were gone. When it got tough, Jesus was out. But we get the final chapter in the book, don't we? And that final chapter is played out in this coming week. And I look forward to journeying with you over Thursday night, Friday and Sunday, where we, we see the, the final story. The king has won. The humble king riding on a donkey. The people shouting and waving Hosanna. Save us, we pray. We don't have to ask the question. We can shout it as a as a proclamation. Ian is going to come up and, and I'll invite the band and we're going to sing a song that is called A Thousand Hallelujahs. And it talks about the continued worship that we should give our true king. 
the one who made such a seismic impact on the world, on our world, on your world, on my world. So my prayer this week is that as you go into the world, may this enduring love, this unending love, make an impact on you. Let's pray. Now, Lord and God, I thank you so much for this psalm, this psalm that helps us to understand your love, your love for us. Lord, I thank you for the psalmist who was seeking to know you intimately. And Lord, I thank you that we have the full picture, that we know the extent of your love, the love that sees you on the cross. So we give you thanks and praise that you love us and that we can sing Hosanna. Blessed be your name. Amen.